welcome to this new podcast. We have a very special guest, Asraf Tulul, who is a film and television director and producer of Has Films. Absolutely. I mean, look, first off, like, thanks for letting me share my journey. I mean, you know, I started off in video games, you know, so I did video games cinematics. And this is like way back in 97. So it shows my age a little bit, like PlayStation 1 type of times. Um, and then I went into visual effects for movies. And I worked on films like The Dark Knight, Hellboy, and some of those like well-known Hollywood movies. But I was a visual effects artist. And then eventually I ended up um, you know, making short films in my spare time. And one of them went viral called Project Kronos, and it landed me a Hollywood manager, and I did the whole Hollywood thing. So my first movie was a movie called The Beyond, right here. And um, that was a movie where I pretty much self-financed it myself. Um, so pretty much I had some savings, I put it myself, because no one in Hollywood, no one's going to take a chance on you unless you take a chance on yourself. So yeah. there is the dream of like, you do a short film, it gets millions of views, and you know, you Hollywood agents fly you to LA and all of that. And I did all of that, but it's very long process, you know, to get a development deal, go through the script process. And especially when you're a first time filmmaker, and that's the thing, it doesn't matter how many short films you've done. doesn't matter how many awards you've won. You know, you're still a first time filmmaker. If you haven't made a feature film that's been released. So that was a very struggle. That was a quite a hard struggle for me. This is around 2015. So I remember I got to a point where I'm like, I need to make a feature film. So I had some savings and I thought, you know what? I'm going to just go off and make my feature. And as I was making it, other investors saw it and they're like, oh, you're making a film and you know, this is looking quite good. How much do you need to finish it? So that was a better position to be in as opposed to the traditional position where you got a script, you have a budget that you want and you're begging everyone to give you money to make your film. So I did that. And then from there, I ended up making my second movie, Origin Unknown, which was a bit of a bigger movie, just under a million US dollars called Origin Unknown. And it's got Katie Sackhoff, who you may have seen in The Mandalorian. And then from there, I was getting studio offers and one company called Disney reached out to me and said, hey, would you like to direct the pilot for um, a kid show? And I'm like, you know, I don't really do kid shows. You know, my stuff's quite dark, hard sci-fi. You got the right person. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. And they were like, no, no, we, we saw we saw your movie Origin Unknown. And what we loved about it was the fact that you have a human character and a CGI character. And yet it was believable. And that's what made me think that, you know, using visual effects to serve the story and not just visual effects for the sake of explosion stuff. And that got me to direct the pilot and become an exec producer on Fastlane. So let me just show you a clip of, of those projects so you can see what I'm talking about. Sure. Great. I said stay live. This, this is, is live. And this unprecedented mix of human consciousness and technology. I would suggest that this is the beginning of the future of astronauts to come. I see it! Excuse me, Jack! Over there, go! Coming through! On your left! Now on your right! This is fuck off! See, so, yeah, so that's... Um, Yes, Whoa. thanks. So that's a that's forty five seconds of my um of my career there from two thousand and seventeen two thousand eighteen. So once those films were done, what you saw in that showreel, this was around two thousand nineteen, and I'm back into development. So development, yeah, as you know, script development, pitching, raising finance, back to square one. Except it's a little bit different when you've made two movies and a television show, especially when two of them being on Netflix. So that helped. But you still, even though you've done two films and they're on Netflix and Disney, you still have to start every single project from the beginning. And it's still a battle. It's still a war. It isn't easier. I mean, it's a little bit more smoother because you've now got connections and contacts and people trust you because you've made movies, but you still have to start from the beginning. You have to get that script correct. And I'm a filmmaker where I just want to make, make, make. I don't want to go through this whole meetings, even though I have to do it. So while we were developing the script for my third feature, which is called Luna, which we were supposed to shoot this year, but obviously we're not because of the COVID situation yeah. we're shooting next year. Um, I wanted, I wanted to find a way to 
express myself as a filmmaker without spending so much money because my company after we made two movies me and my producing partners we set up a small company called has film and uh, i didn't come up with the name by the way they suggested to call it has film okay <laughs> just in case you're really? thinking <laughs> that, that was seriously. good that was good it, was hidden. <laughs> <laughs> it worked um but we're a small we're a small production company we don't want to have huge overheads we want to be very smart the way we want to make our company so we didn't want to spend lots of money bringing visual effects companies to do previs and so I thought I need to find a way I could do this myself as a director. So I started looking at Unreal Engine and this was back in October, 2019. And Unreal Engine is like version, version 4.19. And I only had a MacBook Pro, a laptop. I didn't have any expensive graphics cards or anything like that, but I just wanted something that I could just experiment, start creating some blocking. And Previs, as we all know, you know, usually done by big expensive companies and they really serve a good purpose. And that is you can watch an animated version of your film before you go and shoot the thing, which yeah. is very, very powerful. So I downloaded it. And the first thing I did was I'll show you here. The first thing I did was I just put together a moon landscape and I bought the moon landscape, a stock you know, asset you buy from Turbo Squid. Yeah. And then we had some astronauts, which then I bought a friend of mine who's a modeler just to tweak the models, put a face in there for me and rig it. And everything else was just me on my laptop. This is me using Unreal Engine on a MacBook Pro. No fancy <laughs> NVIDIA cards, nothing, okay? And I'm doing something very, very simple where all I'm doing is putting my characters in, blocking my shots and just rendering it out to put it in an edit so that I can watch it back. But what I realized was very quickly, I wasn't really getting previous quality. I was getting more than previous. I'm getting explosions, fire, reflections, shadows in real time. I'm like, hang on a sec. I've done previous back in my career. It's usually gray characters sliding across the floor, right? Because it doesn't need to look pretty. But this really made me think like, hang on a sec. I'm doing previous, but I'm not really doing previous. I should really put a little bit more time get it a little bit more polished. I mean, it's just me. It's not costing us anything. Um, and just do a pitch fizz where we really sell it. Now, the thing about pitch fizz is pitch fizz has been around for a long time. There are different ways of doing pitch fizz. Usually when I've done pitch fizz for my last movies, you just take clips from other films, you put them next to it and you create like a fake trailer. And it's very, very powerful because you show this to sales agents, sales companies, financiers, and they could kind of see your vision from a marketing point of view. But there's something about pitch phase that feels a bit more special because the pitch phase, you're not taking existing clips. It feels more bespoke, more custom. And therefore, when you show it to a financier and you show it to actors or anyone that you want to be part of your project, it feels unique and special. So there you go. So that, so imagine that playing in a meeting and then you have these shots coming up. And now these shots pretty much show you the sort of environments we would need to shoot at, whether we build it in a studio, whether we go on location and augment it with visual effects. But this shows you it's an ensemble movie. Wow. Wow, yeah. That's and, yeah, thanks. But also the animation's all motion capture. And it's not like we went and did motion capture. Basically, we... Um, we use Mixamo. So if you're familiar with Adobe Mixamo. So Mixamo is free with Adobe Creative Cloud. And you download the mocap, retarget it. So my animation is basically just mixing Mixamo mocap. And then you got a monster scene here, of course. Yeah. Because it's a monster movie. Yeah. I get a phone call 
Uh, actually, that no, was via LinkedIn first of a comic book company saying, hey, we're looking for directors to um, do proof of concept for our television show. Because as we know, every comic book now is being turned into a TV show. We're in the golden age of television, right? If you look at Netflix, there's the Umbrella Academy based on a comic book. Look at Amazon Studios, there is The Boys based on a comic book. So every comic book company is turning their, their IP. It's gold dust at the moment for television, right? And um, they were saying, look, we're looking for directors. You know, here's a comic book. We'd love for you to read. We're huge fans of your work. And I read the comic book. It was really cool. And I decided to do a story called Battlesuit, which is it's, it's a story inside this story called The Theory. Um, it involved big, giant robots. And I'm like, I want to do big, giant robots. It's going to be awesome. Then they told me what the budget was. I'm like, I the budget. <laughs> that that's, It was like 15,000 like, um, UK pounds or 14,000 UK pounds. And I'm like, big, giant robots? the quality I need to do because I've just done two films and a TV show. So your quality has to be better and better. You can't just go back. Right. Yeah. I'm like, Oh my God, yeah. I don't know how I'm going to, I don't know how I'm going to do this in live action. Then I thought, what if I pitched them animation? So I went back to say, Hey, why don't we do this as an animated show as a pitch for an animated show? Now, of course they're like, mm, what's this going to look like? What does the animation style? Is it like the Simpsons or is it like love, death and robots? And at the time, time love death and robots was very popular this is like january last year yeah and so right so everyone's like we want love death and robots so i'm like okay but you know that cost a lot of money that was like blur studios did two of the episodes like a million dollars a minute or something but there was a <laughs> yeah it's a lot of money to do those shows but there's a hunger for adult animation because animation now is no longer just for kids there's now adult animation like you know science fiction and horror so there was still like look we're a fan of your work. If you want to pitch us animation, sure, maybe you just go and do a test. So I'm like, yeah, let me do a test. I'll do a test for you. Give me a week to put together a test. And there's two reasons I did that test. One, to set the expectation. Because you know what happened? You go to a client, you say, we're going to do animation. Like, oh, love, death, and robots. I'm like, whoa, 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 hang on. There's only a small team here. But also second, I want to know if I could do this myself, like pull it off. You know, it's all good saying you could do it, but can I really do it? So I put together this um, this test basically, and this is me in my this is me in my front room with just the Mac and an iPad, just experimenting. And what I did was I didn't want to spend money on this test because I didn't know I was going to get the job right. So I don't want to spend money on the test. So <laughs> I went to the Epic Marketplace. So when you go to when you get an, an Unreal Engine account, you obviously get Epic Marketplace, and I just typed in free. And I downloaded the free assets, the Paragon assets, which is fine to use as a pitch because no one else is going to see it apart from the people in the room. And so I downloaded an environment. I downloaded a character and I did some cinematography the way I would shoot it on a live action set. I didn't want to just be in a room with a computer mouse and just block this. Because the thing about computer graphic cameras they feel too perfect so i really wanted to hold it and i'm very i'm a director that likes to shoot as well when i get you know if the cinematographer lets me and um so you know i shoot so i put together this thing and i did this little test so this is a little test that i did um to show them what it would be like knowing that i know i could do this quality so here you go look So simple little test, showed it to them and they're like, okay, if you could do that, 12 minutes, go off and do it. Here's the money, go off and make the thing. No. Now, what was very, yeah. And what was very interesting was it, it wasn't was a very good way of doing this is because when you download those free assets, you can open them up and look at how they're done. That's the beautiful thing. It's not like you download an asset from like TurboSquid and it's all built already for you and you've got the textures. With Unreal, it's a video game engine, right? So you can open the blueprint shaders and we analyze that, like, oh my God, we can do this. We can we can put our rigs here. We can do multi-layer shaders. We can do all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So 
we ended up putting it together a team. And by the way, that test was just done by me. No one else was involved. That's just me taking the assets. And I did it in two days, really. I didn't do it in a week. But I told him it took a week just to give. Yeah. But it really got them excited and motivated. And also it made me feel more comfortable. Like, okay, I know I can do this. But of course, you still got to set your limits, obviously, when you write the script. So, you know, we spent, I think we spent like three to four, I think it's about three to four months um, building this thing called Battle Suit, which is 12 and a half minutes. You can, I'll send you a link to my website. You can watch the whole thing That's for 12 and a half minutes. Yeah. yeah. But here's 30 seconds of what the project end up being, just so you know what it looks like. I could spend my entire career analyzing just one planet looking at one species without ever knowing for sure if I got their history right. So that's 30 seconds, obviously. I'm such a tease, I know. But you can watch the full 12 and a half minutes online. But that really was a challenge because here's the thing. You know, that was put together with just three people, right? So there's myself, who I directed it. I managed production. I did all the shot creation. I was the animator. And I'm sure I edited. There's a bunch of other stuff I did, I'm sure. Um, and then there's Ronan Eitan, who's a technical artist that I found. Now, I found Eitan, like, this is the first project we worked together. I was given a talk, very similar to what I'm doing now, but I was given a talk before pandemic. So we were, we were actually on location. And in the in the group, he came up afterwards. Hey, man, I loved your talk. It was inspiring. And it was really about how I did previews on Luna and also my previous films. He goes, listen, like, I'm an Unreal Engine artist. You know, here's my details. We should meet for coffee and we can talk. I'm like, yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, I looked at his stuff and his stuff was very like, it wasn't like flashy, but I knew like I need someone like that on my team because he was very technical. He knew exactly how to put the pipeline together. He knew exactly how to you know, modify the assets, make sure to set up a structure for the server. I don't want to be thinking about that stuff. I'll mess it up, right? <laughs> and you don't want to mess it up on a commercial project. Typical and it was important artist. if you're doing a commercial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. But having having Ronan as a technical person on board meant that there's a security for me on the back of my head because I know if something breaks, he's going to be there. So he did all of the pipeline. He developed a system on the iPad, LiveLink at the time. Before LiveLink was just on the phone, he did it on the iPad. He created a system that allowed me to control the eyes and the head. It was really, really good having him. And he's an artist as well. So he got involved in you know, helping light some scenes. Uh, we also had Andrea. Now, Andrea is an artist I've worked with like pretty much all my career. Like I went, he was a student at a company called Escape Studios, right? So he was learning at Escape Studios. And I did my first short film, sort of like 2000 and, um, uh, 2012, 2013, I did a short film called Sync. And he was a student. He goes, hey, you know, I'm a student. I'm studying. I need some experience. This is what I can do. I'm like, sure, help me out. Why not? And he helped me out. And it's funny because he's now, right now, he's my CG supervisor. He's telling me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> and it's beautiful thing to see someone grow on every project. Like he worked on my short, then he worked on my feature films. And then he didn't work on the Disney show. Of course, I had to do that in Canada. But and then he just worked on every single project and every single project, he gets paid bigger and bigger and bigger. And now he's responsible for the entire pipeline for my animated feature. And it's really nice to see someone grow with you, you know, and that's, some, that's an advice I tell everyone. When you work with students that are really great, do your best to support them and reward them. Don't just pay them the same thing you paid them when they're a student, right? Reward them. And I couldn't do what I do without someone like Andrea, who just, he's my go-to person. So he was responsible for all the asset build, the characters, environments. So it's just three people on the team. Point, you got to a point where you you were asking Andrea, hey, now you're giving me orders. How did that happen, man? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting because the bigger the projects you, you, the bigger you get as a filmmaker, the more you start to learn to delegate, right? The more you start to realize you need to manage more but you know, I'm still very hands-on, but you, know, you need to have people that you trust. So I don't need to think about the CG pipeline. Andrea's job is to think about the CG pipeline. He knows what I want. He knows the, yeah, he knows my style of filmmaking. I make a lot of changes on the fly. I constantly change the camera. I'm editing, so things are going to change. So he developed a pipeline to accommodate that. So when he says, hey, Haz, look, you need to render your camera at this resolution for it to work. I'm like, okay, I'm going to render my camera at this resolution because I know if I work on this technical setup that he's done, I can think about the creative. I don't need to think about things I've broken. So that's why it's important to have a 
TG Super Value Trust. And then when we bring other artists on, like currently we're ramping up to like six or seven people or even more now, you know, I don't need to look after those artists. Like Andrea manages those people and he knows when to show me stuff, when not to show me stuff. So it's very important to have that shorthand with your CG supervisor. Um, yeah, so that's, but the scary, and also let's not forget the sound people. I always say, don't forget the sound people. Like it doesn't matter if it's Unreal Engine, without sound, good sound, your visuals are nothing. That's a rule I've always had. I learned that from working with amazing filmmakers when I was a VFX artist. So, you know, we bought this guy called um, Edward White, who did a, the music for a game called Gears of War on the on the Xbox. So he did the music and he, he again, he was a, I didn't find him, he found me. You know, he was a fan of my stuff on Facebook and Instagram, Twitter. And he, and he kept messing with me, hey, dude, we've got to work together. I'm like, sure, I've got this project. Do you want to work on it? So, yeah, okay. Um, and then we had voice actors as well who came in who worked in video games and this is us like shooting you know doing voice recording um but here's the thing we only have three or four months to do this this was our first commercial project okay <laughs> and obviously we didn't tell the client that but this is our first project so there's a lot of pressure on us to yeah. deliver this and right but here's here's the thing that pressure inspired us and motivated us to make sure that we were focused in achieving what we needed to achieve. I felt that if we didn't have that insane pressure, it's healthy pressure, by the way. It's not like crazy late hours and stuff, nothing like that. The pressure like you know you've got to deliver like the first version in a month's time to show the client dailies, right? Which meant that no one is playing around, trying this, trying this. Everyone's very focused. Okay, we have two characters. They're talking. Great. Then we had it in the spaceship. Put that off. Let's not go through a hundred versions of what the spaceship should look like. Has Tell us what it is you need and we'll build that. You have that focus. It means later on when you're polishing, you'll get 110%. You're not rushing to get stuff because you spent so long building that one spaceship, right? But before we did any of that, the first thing we did was, how the hell are we going to animate this? I'm not an animator. Andrea's not an animator. Ronan's definitely not an animator. We never worked at Pixar. So how are we going to do this? Because we promised animation. So one thing we looked at was we knew body animation we could do. We can download motion capture library, very affordable, very cheaply. Mixamo, you get it for free if you're an Adobe user. So we knew we had bodies sorted. But how do we get faces sorted? That's a whole different thing. So we started looking at LiveLink which is a thing at the time for Unreal Engine was quite new. Now it's kind of standard. And you know, there's some behind the scenes here. This is before. This is like two days before lockdown. We're not allowed to sit next to each other, okay? This is like the only time we've got to sit next to each other. And you can see here, we're nerding out. We're nerding out massive. We're like, oh my God, we're like we, we can move my face. I can perform and I can record it directly into Unreal onto my character. Yes, it's not perfect, but it means that, what it means is that when I bring my voice actor, so the budget was very small, like I said, right? Yeah. So we can only afford the voice actor for one day. And she's an amazing actress. She's she's done the video game Cyberpunk recently. She's done Hitman. She's done Star Wars. So the big, the big thing I've learned over my career is hire the best person for the job. Don't just hire someone because they're cheap, because you're going to end up doing way more work to fix it. And you're going to regret it afterwards. I've learned that lesson. So yeah. So I knew I the performance is going to help sell this film. You can have the most gorgeous, amazing visual character, but if the actress who's doing the voice doesn't work, it doesn't sound good, no one's going to believe you and your character, right? So I, I Kosha, yeah, I, I was a fan of hers. I reached out on Twitter, said, hey, this is my work. I'd love you to work. She goes, yeah, I've got one day free. She was working on a big movie at the time. And so she came down and I knew I only had one day with her to record the voices get her face capture as well. So as you can see here on this behind the scenes, we have the big microphone here that's plugged into Pro Tools behind the camera. So our sound guy, Ed, was recording the sound at super high quality. We got this iPad here with the character linked, live linked into Unreal Engine. So when she's doing the performance, she can see her expressions. So she can see how it translates onto the character. Yeah. And then you got this other iPad here, which is just recording video as a reference, as a witness camera, because we know later we have to go and tweak it. I want to watch back the real live action performance to see what we missed on the capture, right? And yeah. um, so that's essentially, whoops. Yeah, there we go. Ooh, there. So once we had all of that, actually, you know what? Let me show you some other stuff as well. Let's see. There we go. 
Oh, oh, there we go. So this is so this here is the laptop feeding the Unreal Engine, and this on the other side here is her real footage. So what I did was we had I know we had like close like sixteen hours of material that we just kept it recording. We had a big SSD drive. We just filled that drive up. We just thought we only have it for one day. Let's not cut. Let's just keep recording. And SSD drives are getting cheaper, so that we could afford to do that. And we use Resolve. And what we we're doing was I would take the live action feed. And I'll take the Unreal Engine feed, line them up, make my selects, right? And then I'll make my list of selects, send that to Ronan. Ronan would then take that, process it, and put it in the scene for me. So I don't have to go through hours and hours to find the animated face, right? So that so that's what we were doing in order to make the selects. That's amazing. And, that's incredible. I mean, you, you just jumped to a level there. Yeah. <laughs> and then, but it wasn't perfect. Yeah, the face wasn't perfect. Like it was we, we were, but it was very efficient. It was efficient. Yeah. When we, we got we got dailies, that's for sure. But we still needed to like adjust things. And that's when having the live video footage really helped. We're like, oh, the live, the live link, Unreal didn't pick up this eyebrow. It, it didn't pick up a lot of the movements. So we can go in and just you see that little dots here. That's a dope sheet. We can go in and tweak those keyframes. You know, make the eyes a bit bigger, make the eyebrows a bit in. We can adjust that. That's the beautiful thing about this. It's data. It's not footage, right? So you can manipulate everything and anything. That's the cool thing about real-time animation. So once we had that, we're like, okay, how do we use mocap to create the choreography, right? And because I came from an editing background, the way I did it was first we built a library of animation that we knew was going to work in the film. So we have our script, we break down the script. We say, okay, this scene here has our character running across the planet. Let's try and get a library of all the running animation, mocap we can find, buy, or get from Mixamo. We also know there's some conversation, there's some shooting, there's some like, you know, there's some deaths. We build a library of that. Once we had our library, we then have our character and we do something called retarget. We take the animation, we say, take it from this skeleton, retarget to our character. Here it is here. And now she's moving. Now, of course, the hands are going in. There's all sorts of errors. Then we go in and tweak all of those things. And that's what Ronan would do. He'll tweak all those things. But for me as a filmmaker, creatively, I got my performance all via existing libraries. So now, when I was talking about having an editing background, well, this is where the editing background comes useful. So in Unreal Engine, you have this thing called Sequencer. Sequencer is your timeline. And remember earlier, I was telling you about not every artist uses every single tool. Well, from a director's point of view, the only thing I use like 99% of my time is the sequencer tool, which is where I control my cameras, control my lights, control the choreography of the action. That's it. I, need, I don't need to go into a blueprint and open that and control shaders. I don't need to go and create assets. No, that's my other team members will do that for me. But I have an understanding of it, which helps a lot. Um, but you can see here, I've got two clips. The first clip down here is the characters kneeling. And then the other clip down here is the characters standing. And I take the two motion capture clips, put them together. And you, just like in video, you have transitions, right? Like a crossfade. Like in Premiere? Yeah, like in Premiere or Avid, exactly. And now look, I'm blending between the two. That's blending between two animation. We don't have an animation of someone standing. Someone's standing, someone's kneeling. I cross blend between the two. And that's how uh -huh. we choreograph all the animation for this whole thing. It's all done like editing mocap. Once you get your head in that workspace, it becomes more fun. It becomes less technical. Of course, I've got to talk about big giant robots, right? Because <laughs> I mentioned robots. So we use 3D Studio Max to build our robot. Uh, so Andrea built the big, massive mech suit. And we did a lot of the rigging and we kept the rigging very simple. We didn't put a skeleton because it's a frigging robot, right? So you just put like basic deformation that you can move. Mm -hmm. And then what he did was he got the textures looking as good as it needs to be. And then he, we use something called Datasmith. Datasmith is the bridge between Fruity Studio Max, Maya Blender, and Unreal. Yeah. And what it does is it brings everything, including explosion animation, by the way, is cached FBX. We then brought that into Unreal. And then we did all of the shader work all in Unreal. We didn't do any of the shader work in 3D Studio Max. We just did the texturing and the UV mapping in 3D Max and Substance Painter. Everything else, all of the 
the layering of the how much dirt there should be on, what emissive neon lights, all of that was done in Unreal Engine using the shader tree. That saved a lot of time because it meant that I can take the rough version of the model, start animating, and not wait for the model to be finished. So the first cut of the movie had really rough versions of the of the character, but it didn't matter because the skeleton's not going to change. It's just the shaders are going to change. So Andrea could work on the shaders, update it, and it'll update in all of my scenes. That was very efficient. Because I remember back in the day, a Maya artist will update something. And then the substance painter artist will update something. And then you put it in a scene and then the layout artist has to update it. And then you send it to the lighting guy and it's like, oh my God, so many steps. I don't want to change anything. Whereas here, it encourages you to change within reason. Sure. It's one of the greatest mm. advantages of this order. Yeah. Absolutely. Also, you know, the environment. So, you know, this environment here, was actually built use, using something called Quixel. So Quixel Bridge comes with Unreal Engine 3. And again, like three guys on a project with very little time. So we have to be very smart and efficient how we pull this off. But at the same time, we also understand that our client has high expectations. It doesn't help that freaking Love, Death and Robots came out. <laughs> Everyone's looking at that. So we knew we had to be very smart in terms of we didn't build a massive environment. We built a small environment, but a really good small environment. And then with camera tricks, you can make it feel bigger with wider lens. That's the approach we took. We knew we didn't have time to build a massive environment like we're doing at the moment. And what's really cool, this is Andrea did it all himself. This is all Andrea. And he's a generalist. And that's another thing I was going to tell you is the, the, the jobs that are popular at the moment for Unreal Engine artists is generalists. Really? Hmm. He doesn't yeah. have to be specialized in something. No, here's the thing. Like in visual effects for film, yes, you need to be, you know, one one specialist in dynamics in Houdini, one hard surface modeler, one soft surface modeler, one rigger. That's in the film industry for sure. And like, like traditional. For virtual production, Unreal Engine, you find generalists are the rock stars. Because here's the thing: you hire a generalist, that person stays on right through to the end. Because that person is building something. He's he or she's lighting, they're adjusting shaders, they're animating. They can do a lot of things, which means as a producer, I'm getting more out of my budget. And also consistency in creative stays the same. Yeah. This is why the more the more general you are as an artist, the more opportunities there are. Because every project will ask for different things. Like Battlesuit was very heavy on environments. And Andrea is a generalist and he loves environments. But on my current movie, it's very character driven. So we have generalists, but we also have a generalist that is a bit better at characters than environments. But that person, when he's finished the characters, can go and help with environments if they need to. Because wow. of the real time environment, we're not rendering. What you see is what you get, right? So you- In every, every, every part of the project. So they, they have a very good and solid sense of the, the whole yes. story. Exactly, exactly that. And yeah, and also, as a director as well, like one thing that I wanted to do was I wanted to address director notes myself. So for example, there was a scene where the desert was beautifully made, but I felt it was a bit too empty. I wish there was a bit of more rocks here. And yeah, when I was a VFX supervisor, I remember directors giving notes like, can we move this tree two pixels to the left? Can we add a bit of rocks here? Now, it doesn't sound like a lot the director's asking for, but if you add up the hours for a project coordinator to block an artist's time to do that, do the job, get get notes from the VFX supervisor and then upload it or put it in the scene, render it, upload it to the client and then get notes back. That's a lot of time gone. Yeah. I didn't want to be that kind of director. So I thought I want to let my artists focus on the things that I can't do very well or can't do at all, which is building things. Tweaking, I can do that. So what I did was in Quixel, I browse the library and say, oh, this is a nice rock. This is a nice ravine. This is me, by the way, doing this. And the thing about Quixel is if you've got Unreal open, when you select your object that you like, it's kind of like shopping for your tree or your rocks, it imports it automatically for you. So I don't need to be technically savvy to do this. It's there already. And then I drag and drop it into my scenes and very quickly, I'm like adding dirt, I'm adding soil. I'm just, I mean, I went a bit crazy because I thought, why not, right? I can do this. And and I did go down a rabbit hole on this one. But what was very cool was very quickly, I'm adding things like this myself and really 
you know when directors give i can say this now because i'm a director but when directors give notes sometimes it's an idea it doesn't mean it's going to work yeah right? yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it costs Don't money it to the director man i mean he's gonna he's gonna ask you twice the things you're doing <laughs> <laughs> totally so i know what that's so i wanted to so originally i wanted to have like grass and i realized oh that's not gonna work but what if we just had things like this so it gives me time to experiment and doesn't hinder on the schedule or the budget or more importantly doesn't add additional stress to my artists who are already like thinking oh my god we've got to get this done within like two months but also you can see here now look i've, I've managed to do all of this myself just by drag and dropping that is powerful that is one of the reasons why we got so much done for so little time is because directors that are going to be doing unreal engine work there's going to be a new breed of directors i mean i'm not the only one doing it. there's a lot of other directors that are doing what i'm doing but the thing that makes us different is the fact that we're hands-on we go in we, we do as much as we can and that's a new type of directing and you'll find a lot of those directors will come from people that are vfx artists people that worked in cg you know like i didn't go to film school no my film school was working on other people's films as a VFX supervisor and learning, oh my God, this is amazing. Also work with some really bad directors. You and are learn a breed man. You are a breed apart. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you don't need to go to film school for this. Um, and I, I know a lot of VFX artists, a lot of CG artists, animators want to be filmmakers, but they're always afraid like, well, I didn't go to film school, so I, I can't make my film. Whereas now with something like Unreal Engine, you have an idea, no one's going to stop you from telling your story or just doing a test shot that may inspire other filmmakers to work with you. So I thought that was very, very interesting. Um, let me show you some other things I was doing. Oh, this is cool. So, you know, you, in every science fiction film, you have sort of like holograms and stuff. Uh -huh. Now, usually holograms are done in After Effects or Nuke, right? You do that as a separate thing. I thought, let's do it all in Unreal Engine. So what we did was in, in um, Adobe Illustrator, I created some shapes and then we export that as vectors, turn those vectors into OBJs, into solids, bought that into unreal and then we applied a, a glow object a glow shader an emissive shader now it, whoops oh hang on let's have a look there we go and so now when you put all of those objects together you've got this really cool screen but what's very cool about it is it's not a 2d image it's physical cg each of those components have keyframes so i can spin one of the lines flip them around and the light would affect my character here all in real time. Really? This is all in real time. This is not me rendering. There's no compositing. It's final pixels. And that's what really blew my mind away as a filmmaker. I'm like, there is so much control I have here. And I'm not breaking the bank. I'm not breaking the schedule. So that that is one of the... And also, I went, I went even further. I even did a title sequence. Usually, you do a title sequence against somewhere else. And this inspired me as a filmmaker because I never thought of doing a title sequence all in the same scene. So we took the scene, the opening scene of the spaceship leaving the planet. I'm like, why don't we use that shot to reveal the title, but in 3D? So we built the, we built the text in 3D Studio Max. We animated it in 3D Studio Max. No shaders, just the FBX geometry. Bought that in, and then I applied a shader, but it's using the same lighting as the entire scene. So now you've got this whole scene. It feels like this big epic title sequence all done in real time and i would never have come up with that idea if i wasn't doing it myself so so there you go wow. new ideas and new ways to present it totally but even things like cinematography you know we use this thing called dragonfly which you, you can buy these game joysticks and put them on the side very affordable these games you can buy them on like amazon called game vice and i was able to map the controls onto my joysticks to do like war type action you know this, this is what it would have been like if i didn't do it this way it would be 100 keyframes okay but what's cool is that there's me moving around in a virtual world now remember i told you i miss being on location because i love being doing live action doing this made me feel a bit better that i wasn't shooting live action i felt like i'm on a real set here i'm moving around the robot i'm recording it so one person on the other computer is recording it in unreal I'm doing as many takes as I want. And then later when I'm in Unreal, I select the camera takes I like all in real time. It's, it's mind blowing. It's like making Avatar, but on a small level. And that's what really as a filmmaker made me think, well, there's a million other ideas I could do with this. And this, is, this could be a good way to make films on a budget that would usually cost hundreds of millions. You can now do this with a small team for, you know, for very little money. 
So what what about the budget? Uh, has I mean, you, you mentioned it, this might be an indie budget. This this was a twelve minute project. We did it for like fifteen, sixteen thousand UK pounds, which really, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we drank a lot of coffee as well. Um, no, but <laughs> no, but we did that because we were very efficient. You know, we didn't build stuff we didn't need to build, like a tree. I'm not going to go build a freaking tree. I'm going to go to TurboSquid and buy a tree for like $5, right? But the robot we had to build because the robot is very specific to the film. So we put our budget and money into building something that we don't have access to. The desert was built up of kit bashing. We found, you know, we, we found rocky textures. We took, we, we found broken buildings. We used kit bash 3D. We don't, we bought some kit bash 3D assets. And then just like Lego, you put them together to make something fresh as opposed to spending weeks and weeks creating turntables and all that stuff, we just build it and put it straight in the engine, see if it works. So it's that's a very indie way of making films, of course. It's very similar to when you're making an independent movie, right? You go on a location, you get the permission, hopefully, you get your camera and you shoot as much as you can and you go and edit it. It's a similar thing with real time that I found. And that's that's why we're able to achieve so much of very, very little time and money. Um, but when that came out, that came out, oh God, that came out in May, 2020. And it was huge. Like, you know, like first showing.net, Razor Epic did a spotlight on it. And what was very interesting was three years ago, I remember going to Los Angeles and pitching animation. They're like, nope, not interested. Too much money, too much money. Or different type of directors for animation. You don't do it. Now those people are coming back to me and say, hey, you know, we saw this animated film. Like, this is interesting. We should talk. So this has opened the doors. This has changed my career. I'm now, you know, I used to, you know, I'm a huge fan of like animes like Akira, Ghost in the Shell. You know, I grew up watching manga and I always had it as a dream. Like, oh my God, I wish I could go and make an animated film, but I can't because obviously you need a big studio. You need to start from the ground up. Was all of a sudden I made this really rough commercial project and now I'm being asked to direct animated films. And this was because I decided to learn a new tool. I was being bold, I was being brave. And I'm like, you know what? I've got some time. I'm not making a movie. Let's learn something. And that's the thing I tell everyone is you're always learning on every single show you work on, man. Every single film is a new battle. It's a new, it's a new challenge. What worked last time is not doesn't mean you should do the same thing on this one because people's expectation changes. You as a filmmaker want to be more ambitious. So from that, I start to look at the market. And this was around, God, June last year, pandemic hit hard, obviously. Whole world is affected, horrible crisis, which meant all film production stopped. No one's making films. And I'm a film director and a producer. I want to make films. Like, that's my living. That's how I pay the bills. What the hell? So I'm like, what do I do? I, you know, I mean... All the Luna's not going to be happening. You know, all my agents in LA, are, are they're, they're not doing anything. There's nothing that can be done. I'm like, I looked at the market. And remember I was telling you earlier to do some research on the market. I looked at the market and I looked at, well, Netflix are commissioning more animated features. Apple just commissioned another one. Warner doing that. I'm seeing a lot of animation here. What's going on? And I realized if I want to continue telling story, I need to be brave to jump the format jump from live action and pivot to animation. And I just did an animated project, so why not? And then all of a sudden, a few offers start coming in. People say, hey, we've got this animated project. Would you be interested? There's a project called Mutant Year Zero, which is based on a video game. So this is a video game called Mutant Year Zero and um, done by a Swedish games company. And the studio in Los Angeles reached out to me, said, hey, we saw your thing on Battlesuit. We love it. Can we jump on a call? Now, typical Hollywood pitching is you pitch it and then you go away you create a pitch deck, you do some pitch material, right? They sent me the video game. Great, I get a free PlayStation game. Um, some of a pandemic, got some time, play a game. And the first logo I saw was obviously PlayStation logo, but the second logo I saw was made in Unreal Engine. So I'm like, hang on a sec. If I contact the game developers for their assets, it's done in Unreal Engine. I'm pitching my stuff in Unreal. That could make sense. So I asked the producers to put me in touch with the game developers, and they did. I had a good Skype call with the Swedish game company, and I pitched them the idea, like, this is what I want to do. I want to make that animated feature based on your game. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be like Mad Max Fury meets Guardians of the Galaxy. They're like, we love it. Okay, what do you need from us? I'm like, 
I need your assets. They're like, what? I'm like, I need your assets. And they're like, well, you won't be able to use them, man. They're all Unreal Engine assets. You know, most producers rebuild everything from scratch. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. I'm making it in Unreal. And they, they gave me this weird look like, is this guy crazy? Okay, sure. Here's a Google Drive with like 400 gigs of data. Go knock yourself out, right? <laughs> he's gonna, he's gonna, yeah, he's gonna, yeah, enjoy it. He's never, he's gonna give up within an hour. Now, now I'm gonna tell you now, it wasn't plug and play. It wasn't like I took the assets, put it in my scene, and boom. No, there was some work that needed to be done. Because the thing about video game assets is they're not like assets when you build a cinematic. When you build a cinematic, you have a full character, full skeleton, everything is organized in a different way. With video games, the head is separate, the arms are separate, the clothes are all different variations, and it's all put together via code. Thank God I had Ronan, my technical person, that looked and we spent a good few weeks understanding the blueprints, and there was a bit of time to get it in a, in a state that we had to up-res all the textures to 4K, because obviously the game has been seen from top, but the cinematic is right up close, right? We did a bit of work in Substance Painter and ZBrush, kind of model it up a bit, right? Now that took time, that took like a good three to four weeks, but it's so much quicker than not having the assets because now I'm not designing it. So there's no conversation of what the pig should look like, what the duck should look like, what the car should look like. It's all designed. And the thing about video games is they spend a lot of years developing the style. So for me, I'm like, I'm not going to change that. This is amazing as it is. My job as director is to tell a story, right? I don't want to change the way the character looks. So we did that and... Um, we were ready to go. I did some tests. I showed it to the producers. They're like, holy shit. Like this, this, is like, this is like a finished movie. This is great. Let's go and make this film. And then their financiers pulled out. Typical story. So this is going to be a big movie. And the financiers, like, oh, this is a pandemic. We don't know where the industry is going. We need to pause. But the producers, right, yeah. And it happened everywhere, right? But the producers were like, look, we need to keep momentum going. We want to keep momentum going. We got some money, small amount of money, something like 30K or something, US dollars. Do, do some do some concept, do some pre-production. By the time COVID dies out, we're back to normal, right? We're still in it. Um, then, <laughs> then, it's going to be soon. Don't worry. It's coming soon. It just keeps, <laughs> exactly. It's, it's getting closer. Um, but by the time it's over, we can go into production. So it was very nice to have that support. Now, they were expecting storyboards. They were expecting you know, some test models being built. Here's the thing. When you're doing pre-production in Unreal Engine, it's kind of like you're making the film already because you're in real time. So I was showing stuff to the producers and they're like, we don't understand. Are you, you're making the film, but what about all the content art? I'm like, well, we don't need to do it. It's all in, it's all in Unreal. So they were like, holy shit. Well, why don't we use that money to create a sizzle, like a teaser trailer with the original material and we use that to start raising more financing and get bigger name actors and make it a much bigger project. So we spent about, yeah, yeah, right. And it was about, we spent like three to four months creating this sizzle trailer. Again, just with three people, the same team as Battlesuit and the same music guy. Uh, But this time we rendered in 4k. I had to buy a better graphics card because we were doing much more high quality fidelity in terms of the, in terms of the photo realness, but still stylized. So this is a little, this, that's the game, by the way. But here's a little clip. You can, again, you can watch the whole thing on my website. But here's a little clip to show you what it is. You get to die. I have to live for all eternity. Oh, fantastic. I know I always show the best bits and cut it. <laughs> um, but I mean, it was, it was bombastic. It was crazy. Some of the ideas I, you know, you know, when as a filmmaker, you, you, you sit in bed and you're thinking, wouldn't it be cool if we had the camera going underneath the bike and an explosion and a pig with a gun? Well, you can try it out. You can do that now. Yeah. You don't, you don't have to storyboard it. You can just try it out roughly, see how it works. So that really, really got me thinking a lot of like, yeah, I, I need to focus my company now on doing animated films for now. But also, it doesn't stop me from doing live action. Because here's the thing. All of my education on my last two films, you know, how do you work with actors? How do you tell good story? What is the pacing, the editing, the lighting? All of those things are applicable in live action, are just as much applicable in animation. 
It's the same thing. You still have the same lens, the same framing that you have in live action. It's that now you translate it into animation. And so I felt like I wasn't doing a career change. I felt like I'm still making films, except it's a different format. And that got me really excited. It got my agents in LA very, very excited. And I started having more conversations with like Netflix, HBO. And I've only been doing animation for a year. So as much as it inspired me, I'm really hoping that this will also inspire other people out there because all I did was just learn Unreal Engine and just had a crazy idea and just did it. And from there, it spiraled. People, people will notice. You know, you do work, you do it, you put it online, people will see it. And I think that's the beauty of the way we live in, in the world today where the internet is so accessible. Everyone has the internet on their phone, right? But also social media. You know, I posted some tests I was doing, put a hashtag virtual production, hashtag Unreal Engine. All of a sudden people say, what is this? And then people start sharing it. Assistants start sharing it to their bosses. Their bosses look at it and go, what is this? Like, we should talk to this director. So yeah, that, that's kind of my big advice is just do it. Here's some like some behind, since I'm here, I'm going to show you some behind the scenes. Um, but this is like, you know, we're doing things like physics. I would never imagine doing physics. So things like, you know, the newspaper flapping in the wind. Usually you animate that keyframe. We just put a wind, a wind effect in Unreal and we had it moving. So things like animation is quicker to do using physics. And, and again, this is, this is, you know, I can just do that myself if I wanted to, just by putting some smoke. But the thing is though, I'm not, the, the thing I want to make clear is I'm not waiting to have a render done, put it through a compositing tool and then in an edit. I can see this as I'm, I can make changes on the fly. And what was really exciting was I did a, um, a Zoom session where I shared my Unreal Engine screen with the producers and they had notes and I'm like, oh, you mean like this? They're like, yeah, okay, next note. You mean like this? They're like, holy shit, we're doing the notes in real time. What the hell? Now I had to warn them. It's not always like this. Some scenes are much more heavier, but for a simple scene, yeah. And that inspired the producers because now they feel like they're part of the process was usually... Producers find it very hard to be part of a process, especially a technical animation or big show where they're like, fingers crossed that they, they deliver. Now they can be part of that process. And that helped massively. How do, how do you see the, the future of, uh, of live filmmaking and digital animation in the filmmaking industry? How do you see the future in the next, say, five to 10 years? I, I think you're going to see a lot more hybrid type work. Hybrid. For example, you're going to see a common... In fact, let me show you this. It's a combination of live action and... CG. So things like LED screens are going to become more popular. At the moment, they're only being used on big shows like The Mandalorian or big commercials, right? But I directed a show using LED screens last year. So it's this show here. I'm going to turn the sound off. So this, what you see in here is Unreal Engine and live action put together, integrated. It's a hybrid, right? And I'm going to show you in a minute how, how, we, how we did that. But that's a little bit expensive to do at the moment. But lack of everything, things get cheaper than when more people do it. And the technology becomes more accessible. Now, this was basically shot in a very, very small studio. And we had one actor with the, with the sword and the armor, but there's no green screen. So we had tons of reflections. The background was Unreal Engine, and it's not footage. It's an Unreal Engine real-time scene, synchronized with our camera. So when I move my camera, the background moves. So I'll show you an example of that here. So like, we do this, for example, this whole scene here. See how the, the, the background's got parallax because it's a, it's a 3D scene. It's not a 2D picture. If this was green screen, you'll have to do a whole big render. This is all in camera. It's all being captured on the day. Mm -hmm. So how, how did I do that? Well, this is how we did it right here. So this is, look, we shot it during COVID, obviously. So, um, but this was it. Look, we, we built like a rough set with some leaves and trees. And then we, um, the screen is behind. Obviously, these are my storyboards. But this, we had the digital village. So obviously on the shoot, you have a digital village. We had the Unreal Engine team. We had two screens and the screens are playing back Unreal Engine scenes. So those screens are playing. That forest is an, it's an engine scene playing in real time on loop. And then when I move my camera, you see that big square moving across? Yeah. That's called a frustrum. So that, that changes. So if I move my camera here, the, the CG camera in Unreal Engine is synchronized together. They move in parallel together. So if I change the lens focus, the CG camera lens focus change, which means that we can watch all of this in real time. The guys can change the focus, do all this stuff in real time. This seems a very good example. 
So we had the temple scene with lots of columns and candles. And what we did was we went and bought some candles and put them on the stand. And we put them in front of the actor. And then what we did was we realized that candles wasn't the same type of candles as the CG one. So we changed the CG one to match that. So then when you watch it, it feels like it's all the same scene. And that's because I'm blending Unreal Engine cinematography and real live action together. That big, I don't know if you noticed, but this is like this big circle up there. Whoops, let's have a look. It's a big circle up there. Mm-hmm. That's that's just a sphere in Unreal Engine with a big glow object. But because those screens are so powerful, we use it to light the actor. As you can see, there's only one or two lights. There's not that many lights out there. But let me show you, but there's this one thing that was, oh, here's another thing. Particles is a big problem in this kind of work, which will get better. We had like fire embers, like particle embers. The problem is when your camera is tracking, it gets confused. It's like, what am I tracking? Am I tracking the particles? <laughs> it gets really confused. So these are things as a filmmaker, you start to compromise. Okay, well, let's not have too much particles here. Let's be very smart of our camera moves. You know, everything's very orchestrated to work with the technology. Lots of testing. You know, this whole, the set is very small. It's a very, very small set. The screen is not as big. But you, if you're very clever with the lens and your framing and work very closely with the visual effects team, here's the thing. Something like this, there's no visual effects because the visual effects is done first. You have to build a CG environment. It's got to be final pixels, right? All your previous, your tech phase all needs to be done way in advance, okay? Let me show this other thing I had. Let me see. Is there smoke? There was one thing we did where we added smoke. I don't know if I've got it on here. Oh, bummer. I'll show you another time. But we, what we did was we added sort of like smoke and stuff in the scene, and it worked really well. It blended the screens together. So that is going to be the future, I think, um, You know, where you don't have to travel to an expensive location, right? You sure. could shoot it in a studio. Or another example could be, you want a really good actor, this amazing big name. Like you want Brad Pitt, right? But Brad Pitt is busy in Australia shooting something. But he has two days free. So what you can do is you can set up the LED screen in Australia, use their tax incentives, whatever, have a team there, set it up. You go via Zoom, direct him, use the same Unreal Engine scene, upload it somewhere, they download it. He'll shoot his scene with the background, the same background that we shot in London. And it all sips perfectly. So it saves logistics, it's safer, but also it means that you have more in your film, but very little. So at the moment, this is very, yeah, I mean, that, that is the future. And, you know, we're going to do way more. I think in the future, you're going to have like hologram, like projections. Yeah, yeah. You'll be able to walk around a CG character. But this is all up, This is all starting from a free piece of software called Unreal Engine. Yeah, the big advice I tell everyone is, you know, don't be afraid to try new things. Now, that's very easy to say, of course. But really, don't be afraid to try new things. Like, if you want to do 3D modeling, download a demo of 3D Studio Max for 30 days or something. Try it out. There's so much knowledge out there. The other thing also is, you know, whatever your circumstances is, like, you may not have a computer. Fine. Go to your college or wherever you study. Ask if they have a computer. Book some time use the computer resources are so much more accessible now when i was at school no there was only like one computer that had a 3d software had a cad software and i remember like oh my god like i I want to use this so i remember asking the teacher like can i use it they're like no it's not for children this is for the adults and they but i want to learn so i took time out after school for one hour every night every evening to learn this so if you ask if you ask, you'll get, you know, you won't get if you don't ask, basically. That's my, that's my advice. You always have to ask. The other thing also is you're always going to hear no. My, every, my career, I would say 80% of the time, the answer is no. I want to make this film. No. I want to have this actor. No. I want this amount of money. No. I want to shoot this. I want, I want more shooting days. I want that camera. I want that lens. No. You're going to hear that. Get used to it. Because it doesn't matter how big you become, you're always going to hear no. Your job, whether you are a student, whether you're a big director, whatever your job is, your job is to convince someone why they should say yes. There's always a million reasons to say no, but you just have that one one reason to say yes is all you need. So when when I always tell people, whenever they're pitching their ideas, don't try to pitch 
there's tons of advice here, I know. Um, but like, <laughs> don't don't try to pitch something that feels textbook. So for example, like, you know, if you want to pitch a film, like for or, my second movie, Origin Unknown, is about a robot and a, and a female astronaut that is trying to figure out the cube on Mars. Now, instead of saying, oh, it's about a robot and this woman, and she's going to find what the cube is, it feels very textbook. The more passion you put into it, that genuine passion, people feed off that passion, right? They feed off the genuine authenticity of your pitch. So for me, how I do my pitch was like, I'm like, hey guys, look, I've got this great film idea. When I was a kid, I loved watching Amblin movies. I loved movies like E.T. I love movies like Flight and Navigator. So this film is a love letter to those films. And this is why you start it like this, people are more engaged. They're like, oh my God, not only this guy loves movies, he loves movies that we like, but also he really wants to make this film. How can we say no? That's that's something. And again, it's something that you don't learn very quickly. It took me, you know, it took me a while to get used to this. I'm never, I'm not usually very confident, by the way. And it takes years to get confident, but you start early, the better. Another advice I say is the more you can collaborate, the better. Now I know so far, I think I showed you a lot of stuff I showed you is me doing a lot of my own, but collaboration comes in all sorts of forms. You can have collaboration with people on your team. You can have people collaborating, you giving you advice, even just showing a version of your work to a friend. Say, hey, have a look at this. What do you think? I, I, I don't know what's wrong with it. I, I don't know. What do you think? And sometimes they're like, oh yeah, the hair looks wrong. You're like, oh, I didn't think of that. That's a level of collaboration. Don't be shy not to show stuff. Like the internet is full of trolls. Of course, like, oh my God, the amount of bad reviews I've had of my film doesn't stop me. You're always going to get haters, right? Your job is to tell a story that you comfortably want to tell that's your job your job is not to please every single person again as an artist it's very very hard to accept that you know i still get anxiety i'm like oh my god i hope people love this you know i learn on youtube like one person, oh we hate the animation i'm like oh my god but you got to think like your job is to create something that you intended to do whether it does well or not is out of your hands it's out of your control now what you can do is show people your work now, notes, that's another thing I want to also say. This will be the final advice, I promise. The, the, the big advice I would say is critique is a big thing for artists, okay? You know, I remember when I started out as a games artist and I showed my portfolio in an interview and it got ripped to pieces. Like, they're like, this is really bad. This is really badly animated. This is really bad CG. Now, instead of being like upset about it, which you will be because you're a human being, or you get very you know, defensive, because what do you mean? No, no, it's not, it's amazing. What you should ask is, what can I do to make that better? And that's what I did. You know, I, I worked in video games for a while. I applied to a company called MPC to work in visual effects. I was very naive. I thought, oh, I, I get a job in film. I've got great video game trailers in my reel. And I got rejection after rejection after rejection. So one day I just rang up MPC. I'm like, listen, guys, I've sent my sharia in. I know you can't tell me why, but I just like to get some advice. Like, what can I do better in my reel that the next time I submit it, I at least get a chance to have an interview. And they're like, okay, well, here's the thing. Visual effects, it's about live action and CG put together seamlessly. If you can show us at least one shot in your showreel that, sh that can demonstrate you have an understanding of live action and CG, we'll interview you. Because at the moment, you've just got all CGI. And this was a time when Harry Potter films are coming out. So the compositing was a big thing. So what I did was I got a really, you know, a cheap DV camera. This shows how old I'm with the tape. I had some video game renders. And basically, I shot some footage, comped it, and it wasn't perfect. It was really bad. But it was enough for them to go, oh, he listened. And also, he really wants to do this, this interviewing. Yeah. So listen to notes. Here's the thing. Like, I... You know, I've made a couple of films now at a TV show. I still get notes. My producing partners give me notes. Some of the notes are really silly, I have to admit. But some of the notes are like, hmm, I didn't think of that. Notes are just notes. No one's putting a gun to your head to say, you must do this note or you'll get fired. No, you're still the director. Your job is to look at notes constructively and say, what if I just try this note out? How will it affect the film? And, you know, I have to admit, seven times out of 10, the notes actually made the film better. Or it made me think of something that I didn't think of before because I was so tunnel vision on this one thing. Yeah. So that's my advice. 
<laughs> well, I loved but, it. Um, you, you, you just had uh, Stephanie hooked to your presentation. <laughs> she barely spoke, uh, but I think uh, she has a lot of new ideas. And, and this podcast is going to challenge and it's going to send a real message uh, of a great person, which we know, and a great friend, which we think we're going to build that in the, in the right now, in the future. With Absolutely. So I, 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 I just, I just tell you guys, uh, look at this podcast, look at those, that material, look at this story, enjoy just have, and inspire yourself. I just have one question. The last question to have, and I really, really, you inspire me. The last, the last, uh, that you, that you were saying, I was like, wow. Yes. I was in my brain. I was like, yes, you can do it. You can do it. I mean, you are a very inspiring person. Oh, will thanks. you have your doors or will you have your doors open to all these students that are coming from out of the certification that may be a good fresh uh, new material to your company to your house fields? Ab absolutely. With the way the way I hire and a lot of people hire is we don't do the traditional hiring. Yeah, you know, for me, I find it more interesting to look at a showreel that shows this person is passionate about something as opposed to the typical way of hiring, where you look at the show, oh, this person worked on Star Wars, worked on King Kong. Oh, wow, this is an amazing shot. Oh, you're amazing. Because you know, in my past, when I was a VFX producer, we used to look at show roles and go, oh my God, this person worked on Star Wars. He's going to be amazing. And you find that that person did a tiny little thing on that shot. And when you put them in an environment, they're like, I don't know, I was so used to working at a big company. Whereas if I look at a student show reel, And the student showroom has a lot of breakdowns, shows all the various steps. Now, it's not perfect because it's a student, of course, but there's enough in there to go, oh my God, like if I give this guy a project, this guy's going to accelerate because he or she already knows how to do it. They just need to work in a professional environment. I'd rather hire that person. I mean, Andrea is a good example. You know, he had no experience at all, but I just loved what he was showing me on his breakdowns. I'm like, I've got to work with this guy somehow. So yeah, absolutely. By all means, you know, for me right now, everyone's looking for new talent. So I never say no to, to a show to look at for sure. Great. Great. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. My thank pleasure. You for and It's okay. I, Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Really. Well, well if, there's, if there's anything I could do, like, you know, please do shout out. I mean, you'll feel free to use the material, you know, whatever. You know, just inspire those people to do some stuff. Make yeah, content. Yeah. We're going <laughs> to be in touch. Really we certainly would, we're going to be in touch. And, and please send everything you think uh, would be worthwhile to put in this podcast. Uh, will do. Will do. And, feel, and share the podcast. You know, is it going to be public, the podcast? Yeah. Yes. Share the link and I'll share it around on my social media for yeah, sure. sure. Oh, yes. Thank you. So as we say on this side of the world, abrazos, mi amigo. Ciao, ciao. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.